Thanks for tuning in to the Archive, brought to you by the Mail Tribune. I'm Melissa Corman, and I'll be sharing the news with you from 100 years ago in the splendid city of Medford and Jackson County at large in 1918. There is much excitement in the Rogue River Valley this week. Fires, thieves, bootleggers, and carrier pigeons are just some of the topics I'll tell you about today. So pull up a seat, make yourself comfortable, and we'll dive on in. With the 4th of July right around the corner, a new rule is going into effect in an attempt to protect us from fire. Sheriff Jennings received an order today from Governor Withycombe to the effect that it will be unlawful to use any kind of fireworks on July 4th, 1918, at any kind of home, private, or public assemblage, and instructing him to see that there were no violations. Most everyone enjoys a nice piece of ripe fruit on a warm summer day, and it would seem that some folks feel the need to come by it using any means necessary. Wouldn't you believe that auto thieves have been robbing orchards of fine fruit? Fruit thieves and vandals are causing much loss to orchardists by their depredations. They travel in autos, and it is suggested that if neighbors and passers-by who notice suspects will take the number of their car, the thieves will soon be under lock and key. One of the boldest and meanest pieces of fruit vandalism came to light yesterday afternoon when it was discovered that within the past few days, thieves had stripped 80 rods of fine Queen Anne trees of every cherry at the Westerland orchards. And in their hurried work, broke many branches and otherwise injured the trees. They stripped 40 rods of one row of single trees and then worked on a double row of trees for quite a distance. These trees are remote from the orchard dwellings. It so happened that a neighbor's attention was attracted to the thieves and he or she obtained the number of their auto. Mr. Westerland is now investigating. He is very thankful, though, that they did not carry away the entire orchard. Refusing to do your bit can have whopping consequences, as local man Kindner learned when he was arrested for disloyalty. Robert Kindner, the well-known Griffin Creek rancher, was placed under arrest last Wednesday afternoon, June 19, 1918, by Sheriff Jennings and has been held ever since at the county jail without bail. He is accused with violating the Federal War Espionage Act. United States District Attorney Haney of Portland is investigating the case, and Kindner will be held in jail until the federal authorities take direct charge of his case. It is claimed that when a War Savings Stamp Soliciting Committee called on Kindner this week and asked him to buy stamps, he denounced the government, war saving stamps, liberty bonds, etc. Prosecuting attorney Roberts and Sheriff Jennings were then notified of Kindner's attack on the government, and his arrest soon followed, and the federal authorities were notified. Unlike Mr. Kindner, most of the folks of Jackson County are a hugely patriotic lot. It was never more evident than this week when Jackson County went over the top in WSS purchases. 30% 
over the top. That is the story of the success attained in the War Saving Stamps campaign brought to a close in Jackson County last night with patriotic mass meetings in almost every school district in the county. If enthusiasm in the war stamp campaign started last January was lacking, there was no evidence of it at the close of the big drive. People who had paid no attention to the war stamp investment in the beginning of the campaign bought liberally this week and then enlisted as solicitors and enthused their neighbors. Griffin Creek District supplied the first thrill of the campaign by the arrest of one of its residents on a charge of disloyalty and sedition, where a report came from Butte Falls this morning that at the patriotic meeting at that place last night, resolutions were passed condemning an editorial published Thursday in the Medford Sun and ordering a copy sent to the Postmaster General with the request that a thorough investigation be made and the paper be barred from the mails. It has been a bad week for anyone to criticize the government in Jackson County. Official reports from few outlying districts had been received up to noon today, but assurances were received from more than half of the 94 districts that they were over the top. Only three cases have been reported not over the top, and these committees are still working to reach the coveted quotas assigned them. Late report from a number of districts will probably be due to the fact that committees will stay with the canvas until they are over the top, and it will be impossible to give final reports before the middle of the coming week. Stamps will be on sale at all post offices until January 1st, and Medford will no doubt have a large additional subscription before the close of the year, owing to the educational and publicity work done during the present drive. Chairman Hart from Ashland is deserving of much praise for the successful conclusion of the campaign just ended. Through his efforts, Jackson County has once more demonstrated its patriotism and willingness to support the government whenever called upon. Assistant Chairman Isaacs and Team Captain Brackenreed have made splendid showing in the Medford District, while Limit Club Fred Strip has worked night and day in his departments with phenomenal success. Birds the word. Carrier pigeons were released here to fly towards Canada this week. The three crates of homing pigeons, comprising of about 36 birds in all, sent here from Victoria, British Columbia by the American RP Union, with the request that they be released this morning, were liberated at 3.15 a.m. by O.J. Gould, agent of the Wells Fargo Express Company, and his assistant, Robert Stevenson, in the presence of a small crowd of interested spectators. The handsome birds, which arrived in the city Friday morning, lost no time when the crates were opened in starting on their long journey home. They hesitated not a second, but at once flew from the depot in a southwesterly direction. They had only gone a few hundred feet, however, when they discovered their direction was wrong. They flew right back to the depot and with that unerring homing instinct, which seems like human intelligence, without stopping, headed north, and in a moment, were out of sight. Medford experts predicted that the pigeons would fly at about 100 miles an hour until their destination was reached. Although nothing was said in the letter of instructions to Agent Gould, 
as to why the pigeons were being tested out of Metford and Vancouver, the general presumption was that the flyers were being tested for use in the war. A thick haze of smoke from burning forests has just about hidden the sun. Due to a lack of breeze, smoke from the forest fires burning in the county continue to settle down over the valley today, forming a thick haze. Most of the smoke is from the forest fire burning in the hills west of Tolo. Five men were sent by the county association this morning to help fight a new fire which had broken out in the Buck Creek section of the Butte Falls neighborhood. The fires which had been burning in the Santiam district of the Butte Falls neighborhood were reported Monday as being under control. Three fires in association territory are burning in the Elk Creek section, which have not yet assumed serious proportions. Federal Forest Supervisor Rankin returned late Saturday from the big forest fire which has been raging in the Klamath Indian Reservation and part of the Crater National Forest for over a week. He confirmed the report reaching the city Saturday that this fire had already burned over 20,000 acres. Supervisor Rankin left this morning with a crew of 20 men to fight the large fire which had been burning in the rabbit's ear section of the Prospect Territory up on the Umpqua Divide. This fire is assuming serious proportions. There is but little doubt that keeping all of the draft rules straight and understood in one's mind can be a bit taxing at times. This became evident this week when a mail carrier of the Prospect route was called to join the colors. A controversy which has been on between the County Draft Board and Military Advisory Board on the one side and Postmaster Mims of Medford and Lloyd Wilson, Star Route mail carrier between Prospect and Derby on the other side, has just been settled by the Post Office Department at Washington, and Wilson must begin his Army service this week as a drafted man. The case is a peculiar one, and so far as known, it is the first of its kind to come up in the United States. Postmasters and postal employees engaged in the transportation of mails are no longer exempt from the draft. When the draft board named Wilson as one of the 44 drafted men to leave Saturday for service at Fort McDowell, Wilson was in a quandary as according to the revised postal laws and regulations of the post office department, he was exempt from military duty. Personally, he was perfectly willing to do his bit in the war, but as star mail route carrier between the two points previously mentioned, he was under a $5,000 bond to the government to carry out his contract. Therefore, he felt that it was his duty to his bondsman to take advantage of the exemption stipulated in the post office department law, at least until he could make arrangements to have someone else take the route off his hands. He applied to Postmaster Mims for advice, and that official, on reading up the department laws and regulations, told Wilson that he was plainly exempted from military duty. Colonel Mims also informed the draft board. The board then referred the case to the legal advisory board, of which Judge Cruz is chairman. The judge informed the board that Wilson was not exempt. The section in the revised postal laws and regulations in dispute reads that, 
all postmasters and persons employed in the transportation of mails shall be exempt from military duty. When informed of the Military Advisory Board's ruling, Postmaster Mims at once referred the matter to the Postmaster General for a ruling. He received the following answer by telegraph today. Wilson not entitled to exemption from draft because he is a male contractor. If he will not sublet his service to suitable person and his sureties refuse to provide for service, then the postmaster at Prospect should employ service under Section 1451 of the Postal Laws and advise this department. Section referred to by you is obsolete. That settled it, and Wilson is busy trying to make arrangements which will protect his bondsmen and enable him to leave with the other drafted men. The telegram from the Postmaster General's office means that post office and mail employees engaged in the transportation of mails are not exempt from military service since the new draft law went into effect. This law evidently repealed all conflicting sections of other laws relating to military service. Electricity finds many ways to brighten the farmer's home and lighten the work. Push the switch and light your house or barn safely. Run your washing machine, churn, cream separator, pump, and dozens of other things. Can you afford to pedal your sewing machine when electricity will turn it for a fifth of a cent an hour? The Western Electric 24-Hour Sunshine Plant does it. It's within your reach. See Paul's Electric Store here in Medford. Bootleggers beware. Deputy Sheriff McDonald is hot on the trail of booze hounds. Just this week, illegal booze caused the arrest of dozens of men. Because of the activities of Deputy Sheriff McDonald, whose specialty heretofore has been arresting speed violators, yesterday and today were busy ones in Justice Taylor's court in disposing of booze cases. McDonald's nosing around at the Eagle Point dance Saturday night resulted in a number of arrests Monday and Tuesday. Then, last night, he arrested seven men on charges of importing liquor from California. One of those arrested was a soldier home on furlough. The federal authorities will probably deal with his case. The most important arrests of last night were that of Pat Swain, the well and favorably known Applegate rancher and stockman, and Wood Jeter, who is in his employ. They were arrested by McDonald on the Jacksonville Road, and in Swain's auto was found a quantity of liquor. Mr. Swain at once exonerated Jeter from any connection with the booze and took all the blame on himself. In court today, Swain, when asked if he were guilty, at once replied, yes, but compulsory guilty, and again said that Jeter was blameless and should be released. Mr. Swain explained that the liquor he had in his car was for medical purposes for his personal use and was to be a year's supply. He stated further that because of his having suffered for seven years with dropsy, at one time being confined 32 months in a hospital, liquor was an absolute necessity to him to keep his system in order. 
both Judge Taylor and County Prosecutor Roberts, as well as the many people who know Pat Swain, know he would not take liquor for bootlegging purposes. A fine of $250 was imposed. Jeter's case was to come up for hearing this afternoon. McDonald's Big Hall came last night in Ashland about 11.30 at night when he arrested L.R. Helms of Medford, a soldier in the aviation section who is home on furlough, S. Wilson and T.E. Wilson of Phoenix, J. Perry of Klamath Falls, and Kenneth Jerome of Medford. McDonald charges that up in the Siskiyous they passed him in an auto, and when he ordered them to stop, speed it up for Ashland. He jumped into his waiting car and pursued them closely. On reaching Ashland, the pursued men turned their car up a side street and all the way began throwing out bottles of beer and whiskey, McDonald asserts. The deputy sheriff claims that when he reached their car, he found five quart bottles of whiskey and three bottles of beer still left. The prisoners were taken to the county jail. Private Helms was brought before Prosecutor Roberts this morning, and despite all urging and threats, refused to say who had bought the liquor or where it had been purchased. Prosecutor Roberts then wired the story of Helms' arrest and his refusal to talk to the federal district attorney at Portland and asked for advice as to course of procedure. Helms was later arraigned before Justice Taylor, and his case was continued until Tuesday afternoon pending an answer from the federal district attorney. The other prisoners were held in jail all day until the time of their trial, which was expected to take place late this afternoon. McDonald's Eagle Point visit of Saturday night resulted in a number of arrests. Lewis Robertson of Eagle Point pleaded guilty to having half a pint of whiskey in his possession and was fined $25 in costs. Robert Haney, also of Eagle Point, pleaded guilty to the charge of intoxication and was fined $25 in costs. Wilbur Jack of Eagle Point pleaded not guilty to having liquor in his possession, and his trial was set for next Tuesday afternoon. He was released under a $200 bond. A complaint was also sworn out against William Lewis of Eagle Point on the charge of intoxication, but it could not be served as he had gone to Crescent City. Well, folks, that's all I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening. Remember, these news stories have been brought to you by the Mail Tribune, a weekly series featuring news items that were drawn from the archives of the Mail Tribune from 100 years ago. You can find more stories like this in the MT100 column in the newspaper or online at mailtribune.com. We also have a whole slew of other podcasts on a wide variety of topics, you should check them out. And be sure to follow us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube. If you like this podcast or have something you'd like to share with me, let me know in the comments or on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. Have a swell day and check back next week for more stories from the archive. <laughs>